I have a tendency every once in a while to watch um, YouTube clips of, of people on motorcycles or where they go and all that kind of stuff. And um, I, I saw a, a clip of a guy and he was going through Canada and he was traveling through a place of Canada where there's a lot of large things. I guess there was just a bunch of big things that were being built. And one of the largest structures that he went through in Canada was this. It's a giant red paper clip. And so I saw this. I mean, this is a giant red paper clip. And I saw this. And I'm like, what in the world is the story of the giant red paper clip? And so this is it. Stuck in a dead-end job and strapped for money, a guy by the name of Kyle McDonald came up with the improbable plan. This is his plan. He said, starting with one small red paper clip, he would trade on the internet until he exchanged it for his house. That's what he was going to do. He had no money. This is what he was going to do. First, he traded the red paper clip for a fish-shaped pin. Next, he traded that pin for a doorknob. He traded the doorknob for a Coleman stove. He traded the Coleman stove for an electric generator. He traded the electric generator for, for a Budweiser sign and a keg of beer, which he then traded for a snowmobile. Exactly one year and 14 trades later, McDonald finally reached his goal. He exchanged a part in a Hollywood movie for a home in Saskatchewan, Canada. Here's the house. That's the paper clip that he started with. The true story of Kyle McDonald told in his book, which he wrote in 2015, One Red Paperclip, celebrates fame, fortune, this book, and the fact that he started with a red paperclip and ended up with this wonderful home. I find this incredibly fascinating that something as so small and significant as a paperclip brought him something big in the end. Now, one of the problems of giving an illustration like this is this is the part where I lose you. Because half of you are thinking, oh, I wonder what I could begin with and if I could get a new car. You know, we, we tend to think that way. What can I begin with? What small thing can I begin with to end up with something large? And I use this illustration because it's a demonstration of something that is small and insignificant as a, as a paperclip became something big and mighty to this guy who ended up with a, a two-bedroom two house, if you will. Jesus made an, interest, an interesting statement in the Gospel of Mark, the, the Gospel that we're studying. He, he likened a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, the smallest of known seeds, he likened a mustard seed that eventually when it's planted in the ground and when it grows up, this small little insignificant little mustard seed grows to be something really mighty and beautiful and powerful. It begins this, this tree in which the birds of the air come and can actually nest in its, in its leaves and its trees and it becomes something absolutely beautiful. The small mustard seed starts really small and insignificant in the ground, and it grows to be something wonderful and beautiful. And, and Jesus, in the parables that we're going to look at, likens this. He likens this to the beauty and the mystery of the kingdom of God. This little mustard seed is a picture, if you will, of the beauty and the mystery of the kingdom of God and what he would have for us. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bible to Mark chapter 4. And what we're going to do is we're going to see Jesus kind of wraps up the way this is recorded by Mark, he wraps up chapter 4, and he's been going through a bunch of parables. He's teaching them parables, and he wants them to know and understand truth. He wants them to understand, so he explains a lot of parables to them. And as we get to the end of chapter of chapter 4, Jesus is going to give two more parables, and, and it's going to focus on seeds and the significance of seeds and what happens to seeds, and they grow and all that. But he's going to teach us spiritual truth. He's going to teach us spiritual reality about the nature of the kingdom of God. And so that's what we have in Mark chapter 4. So let me just read the text. Remember, this is the word of God. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the words of Jesus. He said also, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. 
All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then a full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Verse 30, again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? What's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you can plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all the garden plants, which with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. Verse 33, conclusion of this chapter. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. When he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the like of Jesus. Thank you for the teaching of Jesus. Father, we thank you that we have the privilege of being able to gather this morning to celebrate good things. Father, to sing and celebrate about what you have done for us in our lives. Father, thank you for the gathering of family and friends here. We ask, Lord, that Psalm 119 talks about that open our eyes that we may see wonderful things from your word. I pray that the Spirit of God will open our eyes in the wonder to the beauty of, of who you are, of, of how the kingdom of God grows, how it transforms our life, and how we are called to go out and plant those seeds, Lord. Father, we ask that you'd speak to us this morning. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. So we, we read in verse 26 that Jesus makes a statement about the, the kingdom. He says, this is what the kingdom is like. And in verse 30, he, he kind of gives us a, an idea of the nature of the kingdom. He says, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? And he goes on and describes, he gives two parables to kind of describe what things are going on. And, and Jesus is once again, he, I think he's directing their attention to something that they would be familiar with. Remember, they're by the Sea of Galilee. They're kind of out al along the seashore. They're along the hills. And he pulls in parables of, about seeds. They had this seed image already in their mind from the parable of the sower. And so he goes and he's going to describe the kingdom of God using a seed. Verse 26 says this. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. And then he goes on to describe what happens to that seed that's been scattered on the ground. After the man spreads the seed, he goes about his regular business. He goes to work. He plays with his kids. He does all of those things. He goes to sleep at night. And while he goes about his everyday business, the seed begins to grow. One day the seed breaks through the ground, forms a stalk, continues to grow until it has a head on it. The seed is now fully grown, ripe, and ready to be harvested. And at that point, he comes back and what he, does, he takes his sickle and he harvests the grain. That's the parable. So, so what is Jesus getting at? What's he trying to teach the people? What is he trying to think, teach us here? What is Jesus teaching about the nature of the kingdom of God? I think it's this. Jesus is teaching us about growth in God's kingdom. God's kingdom grows in ways that we don't fully understand. God's kingdom grows. People embracing the life, death, and burial of, of Jesus in such a way that we don't fully understand all that God is doing and allowing that kingdom to grow. God's kingdom ultimately arrived in the unique person of Jesus, right? Mark chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, he talks about this is the message of the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Believe and trust in the gospel. From Mark chapter 1, he began, he began teaching and preaching and proclaiming that message. So in the unique person of Jesus... The rule and reign of Jesus, his words listening to him as being established in the hearts and minds of people as they embrace Jesus as the Messiah, as they embrace the fact that he's going to go to the cross, offer himself as a sacrifice for sin, as they listen to his words, as they embrace him for who he is as the Messiah, the rule and reign of Jesus is being established in the hearts and minds of people. And that's the message that he was going out and proclaiming. 
And here on our parable, notice the man. He's responsible for two things. In the parable, the, the farmer's responsible to, for two things, planting and harvesting. Jesus specifically says that after the man scattered the seed, he went about his regular business day and night. How did the seed grow? He had no idea. All he did was put it in the ground. But verse 28, notice what Jesus says. All by itself, the soil produces grain. All by itself. You know what that word means? It has the idea without visible cause. In other words, the seed goes into the ground. We can't see it. It's in this dark. And all of a sudden, and God, through the rain, through the, the water, through the sun, that, that little seed begins to sprout. And he has no idea. God is bringing about spiritual growth in ways that we cannot think or imagine. God's kingdom grows in a way that we don't fully understand. Because this is God's work. And we would like to think if we just have the magic formulas, or if I just say this right thing, or if I just do this, if I do all of these things, then maybe someone will embrace Christ, or maybe something will happen in the life of another person. And, and what Jesus, through this parable, is reminding us that God's kingdom grows in ways that we don't fully understand. And then he goes on to the second parable, verse 30 and 31. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable should we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. So what Jesus does is, is to highlight the truth of this parable, he uses the example of a mustard seed, which again, they would be familiar with. They would know and understand. In this kind of culture, they would know about a mustard seed. What's the big deal about a mustard seed? Here's a picture of a bunch of mustard seeds right here. They're just small, insignificant, little, little, tiny little seeds, if you will. And this is a bunch of them. And though it probably wasn't the, the smallest seed, proverbially to a Jewish person and to those people maybe sitting along the, the seashore, they would probably know and believe, yeah, this is probably one of the smallest kind of seed. Mustard seed is not a fig tree. It's not going to grow into be a cedar of Lebanon. It's not, it's not an olive tree. It's this small, insignificant little seed that when you plant it in the ground, it's going to grow to be about 10 or 12 feet. This is what it looks like. From that one tiny little seed, it's going to grow to be something wonderful and something beautiful. And even the birds of the air, Jesus said, are going to have the opportunity to come in. And maybe they're going to put a nest in or maybe they're going to, they're going to hide in that small, significant little tree, if you will, bush. So, so what is Jesus teaching about the kingdom? Two parables about the kingdom. The kingdom of God. Two parables. Number one, first parable, God's kingdom grows in ways that we do not fully understand. Second parable, God's kingdom begins in the smallest of ways and ends up in glory. God's kingdom starts with just a small seed and then it grows up to be something beautiful, something majestic, something that the birds at the air that have the opportunity and the ability to come and rest and be, find, find relief, if you will, in this tree. So I believe what the gospel writer Mark is doing is he's, he's teaching the people. They're gathered by the Sea of Galilee Jesus is there, the people are on the shore, and he begins to tell them and explain to them all of these parables about what it means to listen to the word of God, about hearing, about having ears to hear, eyes to see, about the nature and the character of who he is and what he's done, about truly listening to him, about being that kind of good soil that doesn't pass away, that doesn't have a hard heart, that doesn't get distracted by all the things of the world, that their heart is open to the things of the Lord, if you will. And he goes on to explain in these two parables the beauty and the wonder and the challenges of the kingdom of God. And that's it. That's the two parables. And I wonder if the people maybe are sitting there scratching their heads and going, you know what, I understand it and I see it, but I don't fully comprehend it. What, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to respond? 
Oh, that was great. Let's just go and do something else. Well, I think that there's three truths that we can extract here about our responsibility to these two parables of you. What do these parables teach us about life? What do these parables teach us about maybe being a light in the midst of the darkness? Well, let's see if we can pull this apart and figure out our responsibility. Number one, you and I have the responsibility to scatter God's word, to scatter God's truth. Look at verse 26 again. This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed. Do you realize that God has given you and I the responsibility to scatter seeds? He really has. It doesn't matter where you've gone. It could be with a family member. It could be with a friend. It could be with someone you have a relationship for a long time. But God has given us the responsibility to scatter seeds, scatter seeds of his truth. What is he talking about when he talks about scatter seeds? Look at verse 33. It says this, With many parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as he could understand. What Jesus was doing in the unique person of Jesus, in his preaching about the kingdom of God, about the kingdom of heaven, he was teaching them about himself, life, death, burial, and resurrection. Let me teach you about the Old Testament, but let me remind you about how the Old Testament ultimately points to me. Jesus, in his words, reminding them of a spiritual reality of his life, that he is the Messiah has come to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. He said, repent and believe in what? The gospel. What is the gospel? It's, it's good news about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you and I have been given the responsibility and the privilege to scatter those types of seeds in our everyday life. The seeds of the wonder and the beauty of who Jesus is. Listen, if you are a Christ follower, you can bring the message of the Word of God up in everyday conversations with people. Why do I believe that? Because if you have been transformed by the gospel of God's grace, then your whole worldview emanates from the life of Jesus and from the word of God. So almost everything that we do, whether it be a conversation that we have, whether it be a moral issue about the direction of our life, whether it be our marriage, our finances, any of those things come under the umbrella and the wonder and the beauty of God's word. And you can simply speak of God's truth. I had a conversation two days ago with a family member. And the subject of the death of my brother came up, and he, and he brought up something about the death of my brother. And I just simply remind him, you know what? Romans 8, 1 says this, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I wasn't being preachy. I wasn't trying to hit anybody over the head. I wasn't trying to rebuke him. I was just simply trying to bring out the idea of the Word of God and who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And you and I, in the normal conversations of life, we can bring up spiritual realities. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. This is why we have the great privilege of being able to do that. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this. For the word of God, Jesus is bringing the word of God, is living and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The, the seed of the Word of God. It talks about the Word of God penetrating something. That little seed penetrates and comes up to the ground. You and I, by bringing the message of the unique person of Jesus Christ, can bring out the Word of God in such a way that it's powerful and it will convict people of their sin. And maybe not now, maybe not in a week, but maybe in a month 
or a year or two later, they will somehow, the Spirit of God, in a mysterious way, will bring back the Word of God that's been sown in their heart, and they may have the ability to respond. So we are tasked with the responsibility of scatter seeds. How do we do it? I think we can learn here three ways. Number one, scatter seeds that are appropriate. What's interesting in verse 33 and verse 34, if you look at the conclusions, the summary in those two verses, Jesus spoke what? To help them understand spiritual truth. I want you to be able to know and understand spiritual truth. And by the way, what I'm going to do, disciples and some others, I'm going to pull aside, I'm going to come alongside, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain them to you so that you have a better grasp. You have ears here. I'm going to explain them to you. Why? Because I want you to bring out and know and understand spiritual truth and know specifically about my teaching, if you will. You and I have the privilege of scattering seeds of God's truth. Notice Jesus wasn't trying to win an argument. He wasn't trying to make a point. He was simply saying, listen, what I want to do is, I, I want to understand, I want you to understand who you are, who I am, and, and I want you to understand life. And the everyday course of conversations, let me just tell you the way that I, I process life, and the way that I look at life, the way that I look at my money, my finances, the way that I look at those things. And, and we have the great privilege, no matter where people are at, of speaking God's truth in their life. Colossians says this, Pray that God, Paul asked the people to pray for him in this way. Pray that God would open a door for me to speak the mystery of Christ. Before you go to your school in the morning, before you go up in the office, before you have that conversation, ask the Lord, Lord, will you open a door for me to be able to speak the mystery of Jesus to these people about your life, death, burial? Be able to speak to them about the hope that resides deep inside of my heart. And maybe you got a friend who's going through a really, really, really difficult time and they don't know how to process life. And life is really hard and unfair. Let me just read a, a, a passage of scripture. Notice what 2 Corinthians says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we have ourselves have received from God. What we have the great privilege of doing when someone's going through a difficult time is to take that verse, explain it to them, say, let me tell you about the Father of compassion. Let me tell you about the God of comfort. Let me tell you about he has given me peace and comfort in mind. Let me explain this to you. And maybe you can learn something. And maybe there's a principle here. And maybe you can look to the, to the Father, the Father of compassion, to see that he might be able to have the might and the power to bring you help. See, see, we, we have the privilege of, of scattering the, the word of God and the seeds that, that are appropriate that meet the, the situation that someone might be going through. I, I think there's a second way that we can learn here. It's this. Not everybody's going to respond to your seed. Not everybody is going to respond to the seed that you sow. But that doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility to share it. When you look at the life of Jesus, people did not always respond to him. In chapter 5, he's going to cast out demons of a demoniac. And you know what the people are going to do? We want you to leave. We want you to get out of here. In, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus is going back to his hometown of Nazareth. They watch him grow up. And it says that he can't do any miracles there because they can't believe in him. Not everybody is going to believe us when we bring the message of the gospel. Not everyone is going to embrace the message and the truth of the gospel. But the Bible says that God can work in ways that we cannot think or imagine. The Apostle Paul wrote this. He says, this is, he says um, my, my prayer is that, that God can do exceedingly 
abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory forever and ever. That's Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3. God can work in the mysterious ways, in ways that you cannot think or imagine. So when I became a Christian, briefly, this is how I became a Christian. I'm going to Old Dominion University, and I'm a total pagan. I'm almost through with school. I'm a junior, and I'm just having a great time partying. And this gal by the name of Lisa begins to write me and tell me about Jesus. Now, what's the big deal about that? I had not heard from Lisa in 10 years. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, she starts writing me and telling me that she'd embraced Jesus and her life had changed. And she wrote to me over a period of two years telling me about Jesus. And after two years of, of, of writing, my life finally disintegrated and I gave up and I gave my life to Jesus. And I don't think I'm any different from a lot of you. God works in mysterious ways. God works in ways that we cannot think or imagine. And what we have the responsibility is simply to go out there and plant those seeds to your family members, to your friends, even to someone that, that maybe just would cross your path in a, in a divine encounter, if you will. I think we see an example of, of, of scattering seeds from the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul was given the responsibility to take the message of Jesus to the Gentiles. That was his responsibility. Well, he kept getting thrown in prison. And, and one time he's in this Roman prison, and he's sitting in this Roman prison, and now he's got chains on him. He's chained to these, these soldiers, and he can't go anywhere. And, and I would imagine he's thinking this, and I would imagine the people think, look, look at the message of the gospel. Paul, you've been called to take the message out, and now you're sitting in a prison, and you're chained to these guards, and you can't do anything? How is that going to benefit the cause of Jesus? What a waste. I can imagine people thinking that in their minds. Paul's in prison. Now what is God going to do? And I want to direct your attention to Philippians chapter 1 and how Paul writes and he looks at the circumstances of his being in prison. Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 says this. Now I want you to know, brothers, what has happened, this is imprisonment, to me has really what served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Jesus because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Notice advance the gospel. You know what that word advance means? It has the idea of pioneering work. That's what Paul was doing. He's doing pioneering work where he's in a prison. And do you notice how he said it benefited? The guy next to me who's chained to me, guess what he's hearing? He's hearing about Jesus. And, and when they keep changing the guards, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep telling them about Jesus. And because I'm in prison, the brothers out there, they, they have far more courage to speak about the message of Christ. So this guy's hearing about, the, about Jesus. They're sowing seeds. The people are out there now embracing the word of God. They have more boldness. And now 2,000 years later, what do we have? We have the recorded word of God given to us about what happens when people are hindered and threatened by being in prison, or some of the things. The word of God continues to go forth. So listen, no matter where you are at, the difficulties and challenges that you may be facing, God can use those circumstances. God can use those circumstances to plant seeds and allow you to be a light and testament in the midst of darkness. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said this, Your sufferings, your losses, and persecutions shall make for you a platform from which the more vigorously and with greater power you shall witness for Jesus. 
even in the midst of the difficulties and the challenges of life, we have the great privilege of scattering seeds of the Word of God, the person, the nature, and the character of Jesus because we have no idea what God will do in the lives of another person. You have no idea what God will do. That's that mysterious growth that we're talking about. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 5, great verse. Notice what it says. It's not on the screen, but you can write it down and look at it because it's a good verse. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. God works in ways that we cannot fully know and manufacture. By the way, don't you see that true in your own life? Don't you see that true in maybe a family member, a friend? Listen, if, if you could make your son or your daughter grow spiritually by hitting them over the head with the Bible, you would do it, right? Or a, or a friend, you would go up, you, you would hit them over the head. with. We know that that does not work. All of us have family members. All of us have friends or maybe on a different place in life. And what I think we need to be careful is this. Let's not presume that God is not working in their life. We have no idea how long a seed takes to germinate. It may take a little time. A time. It may take a long time. It may take an even longer time. What you and I are tasked with doing is being faithful as a farmer to spread the word of God out there. In our normal everyday culture, let's continue to, to sow those seeds out to other people. Let's not presume that God is not working in a person's life. Let's be people who sow the word of God. Not everybody gets to harvest. I think that's part of the point. Not everybody gets to be at the harvest. We all want the harvest, don't we? Oh, of course we do. You want to be able to tell somebody about Jesus, and you want them to embrace faith in Jesus, because that makes us feel good, right? Oh, look the way God's using me. It's tangible. I can see that. Oh, look at what God is doing. We kind of pat ourselves on the back. But how many missionaries go to the mission field and work day in and day out, and they go about their business, and they, they're faithful to sow seeds of the Word of God, but maybe the work is really difficult and hard, and, and they don't see any fruit from it. Or, or maybe you've been faithful with your son or your daughter or a family member, and you've been, and you've been praying, and you've been given the word of God, and, 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 and nothing has happened. Well, what I would tell you is this, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep sowing seeds. We never know what God is going to do. What our responsibility is to do is to be faithful. When I think about this, I think about Marvin. Marvin's school is a school just around the corner from here. And I can't tell you how many times a team of people have, have, have done vacation Bible schools at that at that school, these little groups of people that come weekly and they hear about Jesus and their parents don't come. I wonder how many seeds of God's word have been sown in the hearts and minds of the souls of those people that maybe it's not going to bear fruit until 5, 10, 15 years down the line when we're not even around to see it. Because we don't see immediate results, does that mean we stop? Does that mean we quit? No. God causes growth. And our responsibility is to sow those seeds out there in the best way that we can and be faithful to that and to trust God for the results. Isaiah chapter 55, a great verse says this, verse 10, as the rain and the snow, agrarian culture, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without what? Watering the earth and making it bud and flourish. God is providing that so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, our provision for us. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You and I have the great privilege. Let's continue to sow God's word. Let's continue to scatter those seeds out there. 
no matter how difficult it is. We need courage to do that. We need God's help to be able to do those. I, I like the way that Paul, the Apostle Paul, put this, this concept of spiritual growth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says this, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he, knew, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes it grow. You and I, let's continue to remember that we have the great privilege of sowing seeds of the word of God, family, friends, co-workers, divine appointments that God, let's ask God, God, give me an opportunity to spread some kind of seed of who you are in the heart and mind of this person. So number one, scatter seeds. Number two is this, don't underestimate the smallness of your sowing. Don't underestimate, oh, well, I, I, I could never do that. There's, there's, no way I could, I, there's no way that I could speak to this person about Jesus. There's no way that God could use me. Don't get discouraged in your own spiritual growth. Don't get discouraged in your ministry. Just because you look around and maybe you don't see the harvest and maybe you don't see the fruit, don't get discouraged because God is working in ways that we cannot think or imagine. By the way, Psalm 121, we looked at in our class, talks about the Lord never sleeps nor slumber. God is not inactive. God doesn't... Guy, listen, you guys take care of the, the world. I'm just going to go take a nap. I'm a, God doesn't take a nap. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. God is working. Maybe he's not working the way that you think that he should, or maybe the way that I think that he should. But God uses those small, insignificant people and circumstances to radically change the world. Joseph's in prison. Moses stutters. He can't talk right. David, the little ruddy little king. Esther. Esther is used. Peter, a man who denies Jesus. God uses the small and insignificant circumstances and people to do what? To be part of his kingdom, to advance the kingdom. Because God is working ways that we cannot think or imagine. And our responsibility is to go out and to tell people about Jesus and to model the life of Jesus. By the way, consider the message of the kingdom of God in the Gospel of Mark up to this point. If, if you go back in Mark chapter 1, how did it begin? It began with a guy by the name of John eating locusts and dressed and really, really odd. And he comes with a message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, are you kidding me? How politically correct is that message? And then he confronts Herod about who he's living with and the wife that he has. He, he faithfully proclaims God's word in such a way and he ends up losing his life, ends up losing his head over it. Isn't that a cause that you would want to give your life for? I don't know about you, but if people were dying around me, I might be a little hesitant to proclaim the message of Jesus. And then Jesus comes alongside and he proclaims the message of the kingdom. It's a little bit hidden, but he proclaims, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Put your faith and your trust in the gospel. He does all these miracles, all these wonderful things. Then he calls 12 guys to him. He says, by the way, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Come follow me. And they follow him. Halfway through his ministry, he says, by the way, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to offer myself as a sacrifice for sin. And they don't get it. They don't understand it. And then he goes to Jerusalem. He goes to Jerusalem, and he's mocked, and he's beat upon, and he's spit on, and he's treated inhumanely. And just before he goes to the cross in John chapter 12, he says this. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, what does it do? It produces many seeds. In what way was the Son of Man going to be glorified? He was going to go and he was going to offer himself as a bloody sacrifice on the cross for the sins of all of humanity. 
And he was going to be placed into that ground like a seed. And then three days later, he was going to come up. The resurrection was going to come up. And he was going out and he was going to proclaim that I am alive. And what would the disciples do? They would come as those, that, that one seed, Jesus being that one seed, they would become the little seeds that would take on the responsibility and the message of the cross to go out through all the world. And so here we are 2,000 years later, and what are we doing? We are embracing a message that started with Jesus and was given to the responsibility of 12 men and a little band of people who followed him. And you and I have the great privilege taking that message to other people. Listen, don't, don't feel like your small word of encouragement. Don't feel like your insignificant little act of kindness. Don't think that you are not unusable in the, in the kingdom of God. Your kindness, your gentleness, who you are as a person, God will use to bring the sow seeds into the lives of other people. You can do it in a way that no one else can. God is bringing people into your life, family members, divine God is bringing those people into your life so that you have the privilege of sowing the seed of the message of Jesus. God works in ways that are so mysterious. What we want to do is we want to be faithful to share that. God works in small and significant ways where he uses our lives to allow us to present the claims of Christ so that people's lives can be transformed and changed and they can go from light to darkness. And he does that because there is a harvest coming. That's the last point I want to bring out. There is a harvest coming. Verse 8, 29, 32, there is a harvest. By the way, in chapter 4, verse 20, the harvest is this. It's 30, 60, or 100 times. That's a great harvest. If you were a farmer and you had a 30%, 60%, 100% return, on your, your seeds, you'd be saying, wow, that's huge. I believe what Jesus' point is, there is a harvest coming. People will embrace Jesus. Their lives will be changed, and they will then live forever and ever in heaven with us together. Don't give up sowing those little seeds. Don't give up doing good. Don't give up because there is a harvest coming. You may not be around. You may not see it. You know. Galatians 6, verse 9 says this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the appropriate time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up on a family member. Don't give up on a friend. Keep sowing seeds. Keep speaking the word of truth whenever you can. At the end of 1 Corinthians 15, the, the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15 is a resurrection chapter in the Bible, a significant chapter on the resurrection the wonder, the beauty of the resurrection, the purpose, the meaning of life. At the end of that chapter, it says this, Paul writes this, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Your work is not in vain in the Lord. And God works in ways that we can. So my encouragement to you and to us is this. Listen, let's scatter seeds. Let's pray collectively as individuals. As a church, let's pray that God would simply open opportunities for us to share about the message of Jesus, maybe with a family member, with a friend. And let's ask that Lord would open a door for us to speak the message of Jesus. Maybe God will open a, an opportunity for our church in this community, you know, Marvin, or, or you know, we, we have a, a lot of ways that we can minister and serve other people. Maybe we should ask the Lord to help us to find a way to be able to plant those seeds in a way that's different. Father, we thank you for the way that you have changed our life. Father, we thank you for the mystery and the beauty of the kingdom. Father, thank you that's 
it's not about us doing things. Lord, it's about us being faithful to who you are and what you've done for us. And Father, I do pray that you would open doors for us just to be faithful. Lord, through the conversation that we have, Lord, you can divine, you, you can open up divine appointments for us. Father, I pray that this week uh, we would see and seize opportunities for us to simply share about who you are and what you've done for us, Lord. Father, I do thank you for the way that you've changed our lives. Father, thank you for the many people who have been faithful to sow seeds of truth, to sow seeds of your word in our life. And Father, I pray that uh, you would continue to work and help us to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.